Anyway, um, we're still in Joshua 15 to 19. It's a kind of chunk of the Bible um, that I mentioned last week. I wanted to do it in two parts. This is an apparently dry section of the Bible. It's one of those kind of name, 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 territory, territory, name, name, name kind of things where if you read it, um, not in the spirit, if you just read it as a book and just thought, I'll just read through this, it just doesn't seem to really do anything for you. But in fact, uh, by spirit, God's revealed some stuff through it and I've decided to cover all four chapters in two in two parts. So um, the reason for that is that I believe every part of Scripture is God-breathed. It's actually in the Word. Let me just read to you 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, where it says, Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and, use, and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way through the Word. We are put together and shaped up for the task God had, has for us. That's from the Message Version, which is a kind of sort of local, a sort of a street language version of the Bible. But the truth is we believe all Scripture is God-breathed and there for something. You can't just take chunks of the Bible and say, I'm just going to ignore that because it kind of just doesn't make any sense to me. Sometimes you have to dig in. And as we've been kind of experiencing a bit this morning, sometimes you have to say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me exactly what's here. Because if I read it, I can't even get the kind of the key message. It just seems like a historical record. And, you know, when you get in that space, the Holy Spirit does. I was really... Um, anxious this morning to say, Lord, we seem to be glorifying your name in worship, and yet we want to see the Holy Spirit really, you know, magnified as well, and, and just felt God do both at the same time, and that's, that's wonderful when the Holy Spirit comes and says, yes, I'm here because we're going to exalt the name of Jesus at the same time as coming, and it's the same in the way that we read the Bible. We need to read the Bible in that same way, looking for that kind of special uh, moments with the Spirit who reveals stuff to you. Okay, so... Um, Last week, I covered this challenge of possessing possessions. So I went through uh, this same section of the Bible, um, and I sort of talked in other words, possessing possession means really taking full ownership of what God has given us. And, and one of the things I really majored in on was the Holy Spirit. But firstly, I covered take full possession of your salvation. Don't take bits of it. Don't take it in some lukewarm, watered-down version. Your salvation is amazing. And I think I shared it either at group or here. So if it was here, I, forgive me for repeating myself. But I said, many of us are waiting, crying out, Lord, show me a miracle. I want to see a miracle. The first miracle is your salvation. That's a miracle that he would break into our lives, us who, um, as uh, was shared this morning by Dan, who are not worthy, who have no reason to take God, I deserve to be saved, and yet chooses to save us. Therefore, all of you who are saved have seen a miracle. You've seen your life turned 180, turned around completely from what it was going to what it is now. God's done an amazing work in you. You've seen a miracle. And that miracle in itself should be enough. I, uh, I kind of have a low tolerance threshold for people who keep saying, yeah, but I need to see more evidence of God. Well, if you can't see evidence of God in, in the natural and then you're saved, then you're missing one big, big miracle. Secondly, I talked about relationship with God being a critical thing we need to take possession of. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we need to own our relationship with God, which means spending as much time as we, as we possibly can. Thirdly, it was the Word of God. You've been, we've been given the Word of God, the map to life, the Holy Bible, and we need to fully possess it, consume it as much as we can, and that's a good consumption. That means, you know, eat it, get it into your muscle, as it were. Um, and finally, I really went into um, the Holy Spirit, just owning the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the sense of wanting to take full possession of them, not again saying that's for other people, they're the spiritual types, and I'm the kind of serious type. The Holy Spirit is the way in which God empowers so much, and we just want to see that person of the Holy Spirit in our lives, 
so evident, so present in us as a church and us as individuals. And we need to really take ownership of the Holy Spirit, not like some third place position, God's Son, and then there's the Holy Spirit following up in third place. No, it's God in three persons wanting to be in our lives, and we just need to take full possession of that. So these dry chapters of the Bible sort of start to reveal that first of all. Um, and a wise person once said when uh, a preacher was preparing and said, this section of the Bible is so dry, he said, son, you need to moisten it with a bit of sweat. You know, so sometimes you have to really kind of dig in and look for what God's trying to say. Okay, so um, I'm going to go through this, this section of the Bible, um, but I wanna, and I'm going to sort of start at the end of 19. So I'm just going to pop to the end for a second and mention something, which is that about the character of Joshua. You know, we've been studying in this season, uh, it feels like a year now, it's not a year, but it has been a long time we've been studying this book of Joshua. And I just want to talk to you briefly about the character of this servant leader. It's actually mentioned at the very, very end of 19, um, and I just can't ignore it really. um, So let me just go to that part. It says, uh, 1948, it says this, when they had finished dividing the, dividing the land into its allotted portions, the Israelites gave Joshua, son of Nun, an inheritance among them, as the Lord had commanded. They gave him a ta- the town he asks for, Tim- Timnath-serah, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he built up a town and settled there. You may say, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting. But in fact, there's a few real, real kind of key things in there about what happened there. They gave Joshua a place. So Joshua, who's God's anointed, who's been telling everyone, this is what God said, this is how you're going to divide up all the territories of the promised land, and to the finite detail of every town name and every region, at the end of it, he doesn't say, and my bit is this great big bit in the middle. They say, they gave him, so he didn't actually ask for anything, they gave him what he asked for, and he asked for a place called um, Timnasarah. Now, that is not a great place. It's tiny. Apparently, it was barren, so it's nothing special. And if you read into it, it says he then built a town there. So it had nothing. He actually went for this nothingness place and created somewhere where he lived and where I believe, if I'm right, he actually was buried there. So this is the great leader guy, the guy in charge, the big kahuna, who could have said right at the beginning, my bit and here's all your bits, or could have left it to the end and done the thing that we probably would do in lots of sneaky situations to get to the end and say, oh, look, what's left? <laughs> Half of Israel had that then, you know. He could have manipulated the whole thing down, but he didn't. He just was a, a real servant leader who didn't take that attitude. He waited till everyone else had had their inheritance first. Tim, Mas- Tim I'm going to get this right, Tim Nasarah, named by Joshua, actually means my abundant portion. So he names this place, this little place of nothingness, my abundant portion. So he was content with this little piece at the end of it all, after all that work. Um, he's himself, he himself is from the tribe of Ephraim, and Ephraim actually means where I shall be doubly fruitful. So this guy's kind of already set up for this. And he had to build this place to live. He labored, even though by now he would have been old. So he was still laboring, still saying, I'm not going to take anything for granted or calling people to do it. I'm going to basically build a place to live in my old age. He didn't manipulate the situation, gets this small piece of town, small piece of land, makes the town and then revels in it and enjoys his lot and says, enough for me, my portion, thank you for what I've been given. So I hope you still remain quite fascinated with Joshua. I find Joshua, look, you know, let's be honest here, Simon isn't here, so I'm going to be really honest with you. When he first said, let's do Joshua, I went, 
That's Old Testament, isn't it? Somewhere at the beginning, don't know very much about him. To be really honest with you, don't know much about this character. I come from that typical sort of New Frontiers breed of people who just sort of start in the New Testament and one day think we're going to work our way back to the Old. And I thought, well, I don't know what this guy's going to say. He said, you wait and see. And he has just a fascinating character, a true servant leader, very wise. You're going to see soon about how he deals with things. And he speak, And the book of Joshua, old, old thousands of years old, still speaks to us today. So let me get into the main chunk of this, the main section. Uh, I've called it, When is a Lot, Not a Lot? Um, hopefully you'll kind of get what I mean as I go along here. We're going to meet two characters. We're going to meet two characters in, in Joshua here, Ephraim and Manasseh. Um, so these are, they're actually two tribes as well. So they're named after um, their leaders who are uh, two, two brothers, two sons of Joseph. Um, and in Joshua 16, they're given their allotment, and it's pretty big. Um, so there's a prophecy about these names. It says that these guys will be given uh, a large piece of land, and it will be their inheritance. And if we look up here, I'll do my best geography lesson for you. Um, Ephraim is the one in purple. You can see that there. And above it is, is West Manasseh. So this is what they've been given. And up on the uh, upper side there is actually East Manasseh, which is where half the tribe stayed, the other side of the Jordan. As the Israelites all cross over the Jordan, they get West Manasseh and Ephraim. I want you just to, to, to take a look at that for a second. That's how the 12 tribes get divided up. You'll see Judah here and Simeon in the middle. There's a tribe that actually end up in the same place within Judah's land, but they're the biggest tribe by a big margin, get this massive piece of land. And that's how the rest was basically divided up. And you may say, thanks, I never liked geography anyway, Andy, why are you making me do it here? But I want to just sort of bring something out. I'll tell you about what happened, but you take a look at that and just focus in on Ephraim and West Manasseh for a second. And you think they'd be pretty chuffed. It's a biblical word, chuffed. They'd be really sort of, hey, look what we got. We got pretty decent piece of land for our tribes. Let me read to you the next, uh, the next part of this scripture. So let's get up uh, this part of Joshua 17. It says, the people of Joseph, that would be uh, the, um, these two guys, guys, so Ephraim and Manasseh, people of Joseph said to Joshua, why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. And Joshua says, if you are so numerous and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, Go up into the forest and clear the land for yourselves. There in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephites. Something like that. The people of Joseph replied, The hill country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who live in the plain have iron chariots, both those in Bethshan and its settlements and those in the valley of Jezreel. But Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are numerous and very powerful. You will have not only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Clear it, and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have iron chariots, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. Put the slide next slide up. Too small. Are they having a laugh? Are they having a giraffe? Too small. They've got that bit. I mean, imagine if you were in Dan. And wait a minute, I'll tell you a bit about Dan, not the person, that place there, or Benjamin, these two tribes. There's Ephraim, and there's all West Manasseh, only really probably overshadowed by Judah. You're thinking, hang on a minute, aren't you, aren't you happy? And Timmasarat, which is this tiny, just so you know, it's right by Lod in Ephraim, see Lod there? That's where Timmath ends up in that region. But they're saying that's not enough for us, it's not big enough. Let me just try and show you something. 
So I want to show you, basically, the... Uh, sorry, let me get my rights. The uh, top tribal top 12, just to give you an idea of the sort of numbers we're talking about here. Okay, so let's bring that up. Love technology. Okay, at number 12, Simeon, 22,200. Simeon at number 12. In at number 11, Ephraim, 32,500. 11th place, Ephraim, 32,500. That's not high in the chart of 12, is it? But let's carry on going. Okay, in at 10, Gad, 40,500. At 9, Reuben, 43,730. 8, Nethtal, 45,400. 7, Benjamin, 45,600. In at 6, it's Manasseh, 52,700. Only 6. And then at 5, it's Usher with, no, sorry, Asher, Asher, 53,400. If I keep going... Pop the next slide up, guys. You'll get to see. Fourth, Zebulun, 60,500. Third place, Issachar, 64,300. Second place, Dan. Remember Dan, the little tiny one? Dan is in its second at 64,400. And last, well, top, non-mover, stays there for years. Judah, 76,500. So let's just get a few things out of this. Just remember what I told you to picture in your head. Poor Dan. 64,400 is a tiny little thing next to what was given to Ephraim in 11th place. And Manasseh, huge, 52,700. Manasseh is almost as big as Judah. And these guys turn around and say, not enough. You haven't given us enough. If you were a Zeb, whatever a Zeb is, but someone who lived in Zebulun, you'd be pretty miffed off. It's, it's just tiny. So, when dividing up the land, you know, you look at the way in which these, these people, they were looking at it saying, we deserve more. We need more. We, we, we require more. It's just like, you know, uh, when, you, when you're dividing up the dessert at home. I don't know if you, like, Viennetta is very good for this and Swiss roll is very good for this because you can actually see the divisions going and you're kind of thinking, hang on a minute, there's a bigger bit there. Or, you know, you're cutting and you're thinking, well, that last one's definitely 5 to 15% bigger than all the other bits. That must be mine. I need that one. I must have the last piece of Viennetta. Or you do the sneaky thing that Dad did, which is you kind of cut it really badly and you've got your last piece and tons of leftover bits you kind of scoop off onto your plate. You know what I mean. But, but these people would have been looking over and kind of saying, it's not fair. It's not fair. Why haven't we got a big piece of this? <coughs> and what's going on? We have to look at then Joshua's response because Joshua's now been told, you know, we're not happy, don't like what we've been given, not happy with our lots. And if I'm honest, I think we'll probably this is the first recollection, recording of biblical sarcasm. I think Joshua's being sarcastic. He's saying, you are mighty. You are strong. You're a powerful people. You can go and take, we've given you this bit, but you can take what's around it. You can take the hill land, the, the wooded forest around, clear that out because you're strong. And then you'll be able to beat up these Canaanites with their iron chariots, which are kind of wooden with a bit of metal on them. But you'll be taken because you are strong. He's really pushing it all back on them, almost saying, if you're as mighty as you claim you are, you've been given enough, but you need to go and claim more of the surrounding area. If you need more space, if you feel you, you need it, go take it. Don't complain about it. Go and take it. So, this historical piece of Scripture, this story about dividing up land and then the story about being unhappy and saying it's not good enough and then getting the response back from Joshua that says, you know, if you want more, go take it. 
what's the application for us today? Because again, I'm telling you, this is a this is a 3,000 plus year old piece of scripture. What would the application for us today be? Well, this God breathed scripture, I'm sure you can see it, what it's trying to say to us. And John A. Huffman, who's one of the commentators on Joshua, said this is a bit long, but I'll read it for you. Many a contemporary analogy can be made here. How often we have complained to God that we have not really been given fair treatment. We want something more or different than God has seen fit to give us. How many times I, in my own whimpering way, have made complaints to God and he has given me the same word Joshua gave to the tribe of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. He told me to use faithfully the resources he has given me given me, and to quit complaining about my lot in life. God has made it clear that if half the energy I spent in complaining would be spent on doing something constructive about my circumstances, they would improve radically. Oh dear. In this section of Joshua, what God is, what it, what, what's being said through the scripture to us is really all the power, all the resource is at hand. We prayed this morning again, Holy Spirit come, that's the biggest power we can pull on. If you want things, you have to go get them. Another commentator said even tougher, so if you think that guy was being a little bit tough, this guy, Colin Peckham, said, if we are lazy and self-indulgent, we cannot hope to be enriched by that which is freely offered to us in the gospel. May God help us to do with our might that which he has bid us to do. Joshua came out of this episode with flying colors, Again, he seems a man of great integrity and fairness, a worthy leader. I know these are, these are kind of tough words. You can kind of feel quite hard done by. Uh, we can often look around and say, I want to have you know, what they have. I, wanna, I, I shared the other day in a group, you know, I, I used to get very frustrated when people would say, I'm going over to this place because I want to receive the Holy Spirit. I want to go to this meeting because the Holy Spirit's really present there. And I'm thinking, that so frustrates me, not because, you know, because I'm a stroppy child, but you know, I'm thinking, no, 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 I don't want you to feel you have to. I don't want to say you can't or you shouldn't or don't, but I want to see the Holy Spirit and the things that you're desiring absolutely present in our church. And at those times, God's been saying to us, then you're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to dig in. You're going to have to desire me. You're going to have to pursue me. You're going to have to lay, you know, fast and pray and request of me that I, my spirit, would come in power. You know, if, if, if hearts are ready, expectant and open, then it will come in mighty power. And we will see miracles in our lifetime. Not just the miracle of salvation, but the miracles we desire to see. Healing. Lots of prophecy. The word of God coming in this church. It's hard to swallow, but it might be a tough pill. But let me just let me show that what I think there's some deep relevance in this part of Joshua for us right now. And it's in three kind of areas. I think God's saying it's time to get on with some stuff here. God has left us with the power of the Holy Spirit so we can take ground. There's ground to be taken. I covered a lot of this last week, so I won't go over it too much again. But we need to hold on to the promises of the Holy Spirit, realize there's so much there that we can tap into, I know that sounds corny, but I do mean it, tap into in a way of saying, we want to see God, we want to see amazing things happen in our life, and the Holy Spirit is there, and there's ground to be taken. And that's ground in our lives, the kind of things that we keep away from God, and there's people out there that need to be reached. Which leads on to the next point, there is work to be done. There's lost people to be saved. 
There's people that we know that are just happily going through life, not fully aware, maybe not even remotely aware, that their sinful nature will lead them to a life without God and eventually to hell, and we should feel that we need to do something about that. A guy called, um, I've forgotten his name now, amazing Indian preacher, his name just popped out of my head, but he, he once shared a story about how he had a vision of a, of a dream of his family screaming at him as he went up to heaven saying, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you tell us? And that just is, well, that's a heavy thing to hold on to. But you know what he was saying? He was saying there are lost people, there are people we know and don't know who don't realize what's happening in their lives, who have not done that turn, who are just heading straight to nothingness. The result of their sin is not going to be the life that we inherit, and therefore there is work to be done. And it's going to be hard work at times. We're going to have to cut down the trees, as it were, take, go into rough territory, difficult terrain. They'll have chariots. They'll have things that are telling us that what you're saying is a load of rubbish. And no, 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 it's kind of all about free spirit. We have to go into some rough terrain at times. Very much like this part of Joshua. And then let's just say that Christ on the cross has given us the greatest inheritance possible. In the dividing of, blessing, dividing of blessing, our inheritance by rights are a big fat zero. We don't actually deserve, as got shared again this morning, anything. We don't deserve it. We don't, cannot earn it. It's given to us freely. Our, in, our, our inheritance should really just be nothing. It should be an uh, internal, eternal separation from God and the creator of all things. But he chooses to get to know us, the creator of all things. We can't create anything. This is, this is one of my challenges this week. I'm sure a lot of you have heard in the news, they've created synthetic life. And there's a bunch of people now in the news saying, there you go, told you evolution was true. There you go, disproves God again. We're getting closer and closer. We've created life. But if you actually look under this thing a little bit, and I'll be very simplistic about it, I'm no scientist, what they've done really is they've mixed together various existing things to create a synthetic organism, to create a bacteria of sorts, you know, a single cell, I think it is, but, but by mixing things together. It didn't create it, it didn't come from nowhere. What's come together? I call that cooking, where I come from. I take flour and I take water and milk and I make pancakes. I have created the pancake. No, you haven't. You've just put together ingredients that already existed and you've made something else out of it. So, yeah, I know I'm being quite derogatory, but this does not disprove life. This, this does not disprove Jesus. This does not disprove God. This does not disprove a creator. It just shows that this thing is complex. We will, I believe we will continue to understand more and more about the universe. We will understand more and more about creation. We will understand more and more about the things that make up what God did. All we're doing is really opening up the recipe. We still can't start it from the beginning ourselves. We mimic and we copy and we kind of fake a little bit. This God that creates everything, that puts the blades of grass in the ground, that creates you and me, wants to know us, wants to have a relationship with us. This is our greatest inheritance, that Jesus Christ on the cross gives you salvation, gives you the riches of heaven, gives you a relationship back with God. This creator God that created everything wants you back. He wants you back. And for many of you, most of you in this room, he's already claimed you back. And you need to live in that inheritance Paul knew this completely. Paul, writer from the New Testament who kind of wrote many times about, look, I was furthest from God. If you can be any further than far away as all of us were, he used to persecute and kill Christians and basically was trying to destroy the church and he gets 
on the road to Damascus, meets with Christ, completely turns his life around and writes things like this to Philippians. This is Philippians 4, 10 to 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have, been renew- um, you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul was understanding at that point that really all I need is him. The things that I've learned, I've realized through life, I'm not, you know, I can be pleased with, I can have a lot and I can have nothing, but the ultimate thing I'm desiring is a relationship with God. So if I had to summarize this whole part of Joshua as we move out of this section into some new parts of it, it's something deeply spiritual. Quit whining about what you don't have and revel in joy and press on in what you do have, which is everything, everything that really matters. I'm a whiner. Don't feel like I'm condemning. That's never, ever right. If you ever think I'm throwing something out there and saying, you bunch of whiners, that's not biblical because we're supposed to convict, not condemn. But I was convicted during preparing for this. You know what? I can really whine sometimes about not being the kind of person I want to be in God. And why is that person having blessing? And why is that church doing it? And why is this happening? And kind of moaning about, God, why don't you just give me more of this? And sometimes praying, God, give me the, you know, the strength to read your scripture. God's saying, come on, Andy. I gave you eyes and you can read. Do your bit, I'll do my bit. So many things. I'm a, I can whine and complain and I can often get into situations which are not positive. And I think sometimes God just pulls you up and says, listen, I've given you everything you need. Everything you need. And I've given you more than you deserve. God wants to discipline us in this area, not because he's a big meanie, because he loves us and he knows us intimately. He knows his areas of weakness. And the race is not a sprint as Simon shared a while ago, he said it's a marathon. It is a marathon, but sections of it are definitely a steeplechase. There are moments in it where you have to jump over stuff, run through stuff, push on into stuff. And we're probably going to go into a season where in some respects, in our desire to see things happen, we're going to have to start pushing in quite hard. We've had a year in this place. God's done an amazing work in us. He's gathered us together. I think God's now saying, I'm now going to pour out my fuel into you. My, the Holy Spirit is going to come and empower you to do amazing things. And I want to be right in the middle of that do you want to be right in the middle of that yeah. hallelujah hallelujah let me end in some scripture and then we we are going to sing so if the worship team can come back up we're going to we're going to sing because i want us to just celebrate something but i'm going to end in hebrews 12 1 to 3 therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. We're going to sing. We're going to sing. I want us to sing in the spirit a song that is a praise song. We're going to sing Happy Day again. I want to sing the greatest day in history, but I want to sing it in a way that says, I recognize the great inheritance you've given to me. I recognize my need, Father, to reach out and take hold of what you have for me. 
I want to sing it in a way that says, you know what, I'm not just going to see words on the screen and go, duh, 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 like there's a bouncing ball running over it. We're going to sing truth back. We're going to sing praise that says, the greatest day of history is that Jesus died for me. The greatest day is when we realize what he's done and we accept this inheritance, this free gift of salvation, followed by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we start to claim our inheritance as a people. And as we're singing it, I want to sing it in a way that with that kind of heads up saying, Father, just, just come by your spirit into my life. Power me. Empower me to smash down chariots, take ground. The, the ground that I need to reclaim of my own, areas of my life that I still keep kind of darkened away and forested, that I'm saying, none of your business. I don't want to go there. It's too difficult. I'll stay in the narrow bit. We say, Father, by your spirit, expose. And let's deal with that. And then realize the same thing's true of our town. There are dark areas of resistance where it's going to be hard, but we are going to move people. We're going to move into Watford, maybe physically too, but certainly spiritually, our presence in Watford is going to increase. We're going to lead the worship thing on the 4th of July in the center of town. Put that in your diary. The 4th of July at the bandstand, churches are coming together. We're leading the worship. We're going to start saying we're going to take and claim things in your name. And we know these will be forested lands. We know we're going to have to push in by your spirit empower us. We can't do it in our own strength. By your spirit empower us. Give us ways to break into the darkness of this town. Because we want to make a difference. Not because we want everyone to have the word X1 on their lips. We want to have the word Christ on their lips. Something's happening in this town. I meet with others in other groups in this town. They say, something's happening. I say, yeah, I've been hearing that for too long. How about something actually now happens? Amen. Hallelujah. I better turn everything off if I'm going to drum. Uh, let's, uh, let's stand together. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray before we do this, and I'm going to pray and move at the same time. Father God, we do pray, Lord, as we come to praise you, as we come to sing worship in your name, Lord, that by your spirit we worship, not by our own voices, Father, but the thing that makes us different when we worship, Lord, is we are singing truth anointed by your spirit, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.